0: people want more democracy not less it's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with joy silver outspoken from radio 111 now here's joy our voice is our vote i have a voice and i'm going to use it Because here on this show, we are the Defenders of Democracy. And today we have returning to us our special guest, Emiliana Guareca. She is an activist, feminist, entrepreneur, and the president of the Women's March Foundation, which she founded in 2016. She's the driving force behind the 2017, 18, 19, 20, and 21 official Women's Marches in Los Angeles. Women's March Foundation is a woman led nonprofit 501 C three organization with no affiliation with the Women's March Inc. As an independent organization, WMF continues to work towards the vision of shared humanity and equity for all, regardless of race, religion, gender identity, or sexuality. And we're going to be talking about what's at stake in November 2022 from a feminist viewpoint. Welcome, Emmy.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. I didn't know we could come back. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, yes.
0: We always want to hear from you. My goodness, you do so many things and it is getting closer to the election. So I wanted to get your viewpoint and learn about what the Women's March Foundation is doing and what it's been doing towards the election. So what's at stake, Emmy? What's at stake for us all?
1: Well, I think, you know, as we look at days to election time, but (laughs) who's (laughs) counting? You know, we are, we're really looking at a high voter turnout for women. We've registered women throughout the year across the states from Iowa to Nevada, you know, to uh, Minnesota, and of course here in California. So we've been doing that all along, but we, what we have seen Since June 24th, um, the ruling on Roe v. Wade, we've seen a lot more energy and a really increase in voter registration, specifically, specifically young women, Mm. young women and that first generation voter that had apathy, that did not think that their votes mattered. Well, now they know that it does matter and that our local and state legislators will have something to say when it comes to their autonomy. So we're We're really looking at uh, a high voter turnout, high voter registration, um, which is something we have focused on throughout the year, but we saw a lot more energy um, right after the decision on Roe
0: v. Wade. I saw a lot of that here when we did the Bands Off Our Bodies rally, and it was significantly, significantly different in the population makeup uh, regarding age. And it was the first time that I ever saw that many young people at a rally in that way and I'm talking young Uh, this was probably starting at like age 12 all the way up and then younger high school people and they all wanted to know what they could do and how could they help and I think this is very very different about the energizing of this issue they grew up this ban and this this Roe v. Wade and and all of these rulings have really changed the landscape I've never heard of the supreme court taking away of people's rights uh, this is just an incredible moment you know you're saying that it's not just in california
1: so where else are you working well we are working across um 16 states so Ooh. 16 states we're working uh, yes and i'm gonna say you're that a little that busy me. are you <laughs> <laughs> right i mean we are registering voters we're sending out voter registration kits um Throughout the country, um, Wisconsin, Michigan have been really up there for us. Kansas, I mean, women from across the country made phone calls to Kansas to make sure that abortion rights were were solidified in, in the state constitution.
0: How did you get in? I, I just want to zero in on Kansas for a minute. First of all, when did it come to your attention and this sort of came for, from most people's perspective. This came out of nowhere. So this means that you knew that this was coming to the forefront and you were organizing towards that effort. So how early in the game was that for you and how were you apprised of it?
1: We knew early May that this was coming down um, in Kansas, that this was a decision that that they wanted to um Put forth and in in ban abortion and put uh, solidified in the constitution. And so, with our trust women partner in Kansas, so they reached out to us and they talked to us about what was at stake in Kansas, uh, what the the proposition they were trying to put into the amendment looked like. And this was in May for us, so we we're slowly working on. You know, doing some voter registration, some some phone calls to voters, and then June hits, mm, right? Right. We get that leak. We get that leak from SCOTUS. We have a leak. And so we know that we're in trouble. So we, you know, really, really mobilized to make sure that we were ready to contact voters. So we had a contact uh, number of 300,000 voters, <sighs> Um, each voter received between two to three contacts, which means we they received a postcard um, advising them about what's coming. Um, they received a phone call. They received a text, and you know it worked It worked to the point that thirty percent of voters in Kansas, specifically, only showed up to vote on the, um, proposition wow. specifically to, to save reproductive rights in the constitution, um, for Kansas. So it worked. Um, we were lucky enough to have partners on the ground that we listened to and we made sure that they led and we did the work in the background, but we were ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's the incredible amount of, heart that our volunteers
0: have because they were all volunteers. I want to say that what we learned of the campaign and how it was spoken about was not the usual way of talking that we certainly see those who are uh, those who are defending democracy necessarily message. What I saw was the the use of the word freedoms and so it was placed in, in kind of a different context than we usually see. It's almost as if that the language that the uh, extremists use on the right, all about freedom, was used to talk about this particular uh, this initiative, this ballot proposition.
1: Well, the way the proposition was set forth um, was really meant to confuse voters. Uh-huh. Um, so that was that was something that was apparent from the beginning. But what was important to us was that we followed what language they used. And so we made sure to counteract the disinformation. We made sure that we also use language that a voter would understand, um, that a voter in Kansas um, would get. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was really helpful with with our partners on the ground. Um, For example, when we talk about, you know, pregnancy, when we talk about, um, you know, who gets pregnant, who can have an abortion. And we talk about it as women. Right. And so folks really, really took to to understood the assignment of we need to make sure that the language is clear because the the language that has been set forth will confuse people. Mm-hmm. And so that messaging was critical for us, messaging was critical for the canvassing, and it worked.
0: It worked. So that was a major, major success. And certainly, uh, I think it was considered an upset in a national way uh, that I would say the country was... Not prepared on either side for the success of what came out of that, from our point of view, the success that came out of that. I think that was a a kind of a shocker for everyone. And I think it was also heartening to see and probably is now being used as an energizer for other states. For example, we have that change to the Constitution in California. Are you any part of that?
1: Of course. (laughs) We are asking folks to vote yes on Proposition 1, which is to solidify abortion rights in the state constitution in California and you know most folks would say where well, California is a sanctuary state we're okay well we're okay as long as we have a governor that agrees that we are okay uh-huh. as long as we have state legislators that agree and as we all know we just went through some hairy moments with a recall effort um so we've we've got to make sure that that our, our rights for reproductive rights are solidified in the constitution so that it is not up for debate every single election time. As we see now, I mean, we now are talking about, um, uh, Lindsey Graham talking about a, you know, nationwide abortion ban. And so, which Brings us back to the state battles, to the local state legislators, and making sure that we are electing um, those those folks that believe that a woman's right to choose is a woman's right to choose. Yeah, um, it, it, on your
0: uh, site on your on your website there it says that. Uh, it says regarding the marches, because you are the Women's March Foundation. But what you say on that site is that it was never just about the march. So could you tell us what's coming up uh, in terms of October 8th?
1: Absolutely. So. You know part of the part of us organizing um, marches is really an entry point to activism mm-hmm. um, on October eighth We are rallying for reproductive rights we are rallying the vote you know we 're Um, We're going to be a month away from an election that will be what's called the midterms for those folks that are not politically active. We need you to vote November 8th. We call it the midterms. But really, it's important for us to make sure that we continuously um, organize. And so on October 8th in Los Angeles and across the country, women are organizing, whether they're organizing a rally, a march. But in Los Angeles, we're organizing training sessions, how to register voters, how to talk to voters, how to persuade them, um, how to phone bank for candidates, how to continue building that activism muscle beyond marching. Um, Because marching is, is an entry point. Um, But we know that we need to do more. We knew that after our first march in 2017. And so we are continuing to um, train and and mobilize voters um, to make sure that women's rights are protected and that we have the power to do that with our vote. Well, I know the
0: organization has targeted um, actions and strategies, and also what interests me, and I want you to talk a little more about this, um, I see there's a section on there that's called the Feminist Street Initiative. So what was the uh, genesis of, of that uh, initiative?
1: well when we organized and we still continue to organize our our marches and rallies what we found was that there were really very few streets named after women Hmm. Um, but part of that is because streets are named after folks that have power that Mm -hmm. have had political power and that means that women are often um not represented But more than that, it means that when we look at power and when what we see in our streets is that it's only represented by men. And so what we engage in is the Feminist Street Initiative. We want to make sure that our activism of taking to the streets and marching goes beyond that. So the Feminist Street Initiative is memorializing And really highlighting the work that social justice um, brings to the table and really highlighting those women um, and getting streets named after them. So we currently have applications for um, Dolores Huerta, Gloria Steinem, Maya (laughs) Angelou. My favorite one is Wilma Mankiller. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> so Wilma Mankiller, that there's a <laughs> there's a street named after a KKK organizer. Oh gosh! And so I will name the street. So we've applied to rename it to Wilma Mankiller, and and uh, really an indigenous woman that really has hard was hard fought. Um, for for women's rights, so all of these women have a place in history, but currently have no streets named after them. That's a bit. Um, I think. Um,
0: and I think people might think of that as well. How how critical is then? But when we look around at the statues and we look at the street names, and we see that so many statues and street names are for those people who are either KKK leaders or part of the confederacy and considered i mean this is really important because it is uh, these are organizations and people and mostly men of course who have been against the unification of the united states and yet it would be like it would almost be like saying well let's have a street named after goebbels in germany i mean you don't see anybody who is has has uh pulled the country apart or been part of the insurrection team um documented and and made into uh some sort of hero by naming a street after them. And so I think this is a really really important thing that will give a better future from certainly from a feminist viewpoint and from an, uh, an equity viewpoint of all that have been left out.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean typically streets have been named after after men in politics and as we know we're not equal there yet as well right so our goal is to really memorialize these women's struggle I mean what we're talking about RBG Mm -hmm. RBG should have a street name what she (laughs) you know what she has brought forth for future generations but it's also about Equity. It's about equity in the streets and it is about making sure that our our young women know how hard these women fought for us to have rights, for us to have credit cards, for us to be able to own land, for us to be able to vote. Right.
0: Where's Bella Abzug Boulevard? You're talking about credit cards, right? Where's Bella Abzug Boulevard?
1: Absolutely. So these are applications that we have, um, folks on the ground. Um, the Maya Angelo is in Missouri. Um, it takes about a year or two to get the street named. Um, we have to get the consensus of the community. But when we talk about where these women were born or where they fought these battles, what we're getting is a lot of support. The RBG um, uh, street naming um, brought the town hall brought in about 1,500 people that were wondering why the city had not done that before in New York.
0: That's incredible. You're doing a lot of things that haven't been done before. I want to talk to you uh, more about how are you feeling about holding the House and winning the Senate?
1: I am feeling good about holding the House and winning the Senate. I am I'm feeling good about it because I see the, the momentum. I see the calls currently at our, at our hub in Los Angeles. We have 50 volunteers right now, phone banking for Catherine Cortez must. We've got 10 volunteers just sending out postcards. So I'm feeling good about it, but, but, but we cannot be too complacent. Mm -hmm. Um, I see that some of the polls have folks in double digits and say, Oh, They're up by 10 points. They're up by 12 points. I would say do not believe the polls continue working because we have this thing, um, what we're calling the silent voter. That voter that refuses to tell you who they will vote, but they're high propensity voters. That voter that tells you, I'm not sure if I'm going to show up, but we'll see. That voter will show up, and they're probably not voting for someone that is pro-choice. So I'm going to ask folks to (laughs) to not be complacent on that. Absolutely. I want to
0: talk a little more about Catherine Cortez Master for a minute, because she was the heir apparent, as it, I guess, kind of an heir apparent to uh, Harry Reid. Um, What happened to do you do you feel she's in jeopardy and why? I mean, I remember canvassing for her in Las Vegas at that particular time period. So what, what is happening with her?
1: So she is, she is in jeopardy. I think that she has the most ground to gain. Um, what should she, we thought she should not be sweating it. We thought she would be okay. But the state of Nevada has 3% of, the state of Nevada has new voters. Um, the state of Nevada with the COVID pandemic really got hit by unemployment. Um, So there's there's a lot of factors there. Um, And the state of Nevada is really um, reconsidering. And usually it's a referendum on on the president. It's it's not necessarily on her. And so we what we need to do is to make sure that folks know um, what she has done for the state, what she stands for. So she currently is what folks thought she would be the double digits, she's very effective. Um, she is now uh, in, in a battle. It's now looking like a tight race for her, and the same with uh, Warnock. Warnock in Georgia. Well, I mean, Warnock and Herschel are completely opposites. there's this shouldn't. wish there shouldn't be a question on it.
0: It shouldn't but be a question. But here we are. And mm-hmm. so, just a few words on a couple of other races because we're getting to the. Cl- closing time. And I could talk to you forever, Emmy, because uh, you have the data behind you, and you have the actual experience out in the field knowing what the, you know, you have your ear to the ground, as they say. <laughs> but a few words on the Sherry Beasley campaign in North Carolina. How, how is that looking for the Senate race? So Sherry
1: Beasley well, so that is another really tight race. Um, so Sherry Beasley needs a little bit more of the name recognition. So if we can just get folks on the phone calling, um, what we're seeing on the on the phone banks and text banks is, oh, I did not know that she was running, or I did not know that there was an election November 8th. So it, she needs a lot more of um touch points for her voters Mm. um so that's that's where we're at i mean you're talking about days away some of these folks have gotten one touch point or have not heard from the campaign right how many touch
0: points does a voter need
1: Ooh, I could talk about this for days. <laughs> <laughs> a low propensity, low propensity voter, which means they show up only for presidential elections, um, needs about seven touch points in order for sh- them to show up on a midterm. Mm. A mid propensity voter needs three touch points. And a normal voter that shows up rabidly like I do, we need one touch point. Even we need one touch point. Mm. That's so a, we have our work cut out for us.
0: Are there any House races that you see where women are on the edge of taking, either taking the seat or holding the seat that you feel are critical to the election?
1: So a lot of House races. I would say Wisconsin. I would say there's quite a few. But I what I will say for people is to pick a candidate put in 30 minutes or an hour. Even if you are in California and you feel safe, you may have a local election that you feel safe in. Pick a candidate outside. Pick a Wisconsin. Pick an Ohio. Montana is another one. Denver. Arizona. Arizona. I'm always in the, you know, West Coast. I pick Arizona. I pick, you know, Nevada. Just because they're close. Well, how and they're so close that yeah.
0: If they want to join the effort with Women's March Foundation, where can they reach you and how can they join up for the effort?
1: Yes, I am at womensmarchfoundation.org. I am at Emmy at womensmarchfoundation.org. If so you want to register voters or talk to me all day about politics while we phone bank, we can do this.
0: Well, thank you Emmy Gueyeca. I'm going to you know we're going to be calling on you again and that's what's at stake in November of 2022, but there's a world after that. Certainly you have a feminist viewpoint and that's important to us. And thank you for joining us today on this episode of Outspoken. And as we near the upcoming midterm elections. We'll continue the focus on our next episode. We're going to be talking to Christelle Reina about the women's wave in 2022. I'm Joy Silver on Radio 111. Stand up, speak out, because this is what democracy looks like.